All right, Revelation chapter 10. We'll go ahead and read the, um, the whole chapter and then we'll see, um, see where we're at and talk a little bit about how to understand this particular part of Revelation. So in Revelation chapter 10, we'll begin in verse 1. It says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. And he had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as He announced to His servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel, and I ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So... One thing that I want to take you back to and um, try to remind you of before we get into this tonight is that um, do you remember when the when we first started out there were seven what? Hmm? Well, yes, seven churches. You're right. You're right. Um, but and seven lampstands, which were the churches. But particularly, um, I'm looking for seven what? Seals. There you go. So beginning of the tribulation, there were seven seals that he went through. All right? And you remember most of those seals were about what mankind did to one another. Uh, they came out and they there was a world, world war or some or just war all over the place that actually killed a quarter of mankind. And then there was famine and then there was pestilence or uh, disease. Um, and so we had all of these things that took place on the earth through these seals. But then when we get to the sixth seal, after the sixth seal, in between the sixth and the seventh seal, there was a pause and there was a question asked. Because in the sixth seal, all the contents of heaven were poured out onto the earth. You remember that? And then the kings, small and great, were running to the mountains saying, please, uh, crying to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb and from the one who sits on the throne. And so 
But do you remember what question was asked between the sixth and the seventh seal? Who can stand? So between the sixth and before the seventh seal is opened, we have a question that is asked. Who, who can survive this? When John looked at all of the things that God showed him in all the seals, uh, when basically what God was doing is He was showing John, this is what it's going to look like in the end of days when I pour out my judgment on this earth. It's going to begin with this and this and this and this. And He shows you in each one of those seals what it's going to look like. Well, by the time He gets to the sixth seal, John is so overwhelmed that there's only, again, one question in his mind. Who in the world could possibly survive all of this? And then what was chapter 7 about? The ones that would be able to survive during this time. He answers the question. So chapter 7 was an interlude, if you will, between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. When the seventh seal opens up, it turns into seven trumpet judgments. And then we have these angels that come up. And each angel blows a trumpet in the seventh seal. And every time a trumpet is blown, something of the judgment of God happens on the earth. But then, now we get to, if you were to um, look at Revelations chapter, chapter, let me find it. Seventh seal, fourth angel blew his trumpet, fifth, first angel. So if you were to look at the end of Verse uh, chapter 9, verse 12. Now, an angel had told John there are three woes that are about to happen. Y'all remember that? And woe just simply was a term that meant great despair. It meant um, great destruction is coming. So when he said there are three woes, in other words, he's saying there are three things that are fixing to happen that are going to be times of great despair, times of great destruction, even greater than anything you've seen. Well, in chapter 9, verse 12, we've seen that basically all of hell had opened up and belched. Y'all remember that? And the reason I say belch is because when the bottomless pit was opened, uh, black smoke rolled out and here come all these demons. Y'all remember that? And they were poured out on the earth to torment mankind as part of God's judgment. So this was the first woe. So in verse 12 of chapter 9, he says, The first woe has passed, but behold, two woes are still to come. Then in verse 13, the sixth angel blows his trumpet. And again, we studied this, so I'm not going to reread it again. But basically, there were four great demons that were turned loose that basically led kings and kingdoms. And so... They were demons that influenced presidents or, um, or kings or whatever the case may be. And they led entire countries to, to, um, to do certain things. And so anyway, basically we ha- what you had is the second woe that takes place. But then, before we get to the third woe, before we get to the third woe, and, the, and if the first woe was the fifth trumpet, the second woe was the sixth trumpet, what's going to be the third woe? The seventh trumpet. And now, if you were to skip over with me to chapter 11, verse 15, or actually start in verse 14. 
chapter 11, verse 14, what do you see there? The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Alright, and then if you go into verse 15, what does he say next? Seventh angel blew his trumpet. So here we go into the third time of destruction, the third time of despair. Now the reason I'm giving you this is to help you understand that when you read Revelations, sometimes you don't need to see everything in chronological order. Sometimes you need to understand that He breaks off for a purpose and a reason. And so in chapter 10 and chapter 11, what He does here is He takes a break from showing you what happens in the seventh trumpet. He goes to the end of the sixth trumpet and that woe, and he's and you can imagine, all of hell has been unleashed. Kingdoms have been led into, into battles with 200 million men armies. Um, you can go back and you can see all the destruction that's taking place in the six trumpets. Well, if John's question of the first six seals was what again? Who can stand? What do you think is going to happen by the time he sees the sixth trumpet? He's probably looking at this going, I, I, I don't know how in the world anything is going to be able to make it through this. And so basically what we have in chapter 10, we have this, um, this heavenly vision, if you will, that helps us see some of the um, things that are taking place in the Spirit when all of this is going on. Because all the demons of hell have been released onto the earth. And I'm sure one question that John is asking is, how long are you going to let this go on, God? How long is this going to last? And so God allows John to see into a part of a spirit world that is more real than the world we live in, but our eyes can't see it. I'll give you a prime example of it. Do you remember any story in the Old Testament where um, I think it was Elisha, if I remember right, and he's up on this mountainside or, or in a valley or somewhere. But anyway, his servant gets up and he looks outside of the tent and they are surrounded by a Syrian army. Y'all remember this? And he comes back in and he says, Master, Master, we're, we're surrounded. And you remember what Elisha said when he woke up and he looked outside? Somebody tell me, what did Elisha say? All right. And so, and then he told the servant, he said, he said, don't you know that those that are with us are far greater than those who are against us? And the servant went, what's wrong with you? And then just like Letha just said, Elisha prayed and he said, God, please open his eyes so that he can see what I can see. And whenever the servant opened his eyes, what did he see? All around the mountainside surrounding the, the Syrian army were angel armies surrounded all around. He couldn't see it. You know why? Because it was in the spiritual realm, but it was more real than what was going on in the physical realm. And so what you need to understand, and we read this all throughout the Bible, there is spiritual battles taking place all around us that you and I can't see it, but we're affected by it in many different ways, right? 
And so what I believe happens here in chapter 10 is that God, that God allows John to have a vision now to see that I'm not going to let this go on for long. Yes, I have turned all these demons loose. Yes, I have done all these things that you have just seen in these trumpet blasts. Yes, that is all going to take place. But it's not going to last long, and let me show you why. And so he gets a vision in verse 10. The first thing we're going to look at is the angel. All right. So in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was wrapped in a cloud. He had a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun. His legs like pillars of fire. And he had a little scroll open in his hand. Who is this? Huh? Some say it is Jesus. I don't necessarily think it is, but there are many, many commentators out there that actually say that this is the Lord Jesus that, that He's fixing to set His feet down on the earth. I don't see that because He actually comes. He says His second coming, right? His second coming is going to be at the last trumpet, all right? And so we actually see that take place in Revelation chapter 19. Now he has some of the appearances of Jesus, and, and I get that. Um, it actually, if, um, if you were to look in Matthew chapter 24 verse 30, you'll see that when Jesus does come back, he's wrapped in a cloud. He comes on the clouds. So there is a similarity there. Um, if you were to uh, go to Revelation chapter four, I believe it is, four or five, he has a rainbow over his head after he's sitting on the and when he's sitting on the throne. So um, so again, those are some similarities. In uh, Revelation chapter one, verse 16, it tells us that Jesus' face shines like the sun. So again, many similarities here and a lot of reason to to say that it is possible that this is Jesus. I want to tell you why I don't think this is Jesus. Uh, the first reason is because in other places in Revelations, there is a clear distinction made between Jesus and an angel. Now, one of the first things you'll notice here is he says, I saw another mighty angel. Now, he's been looking at all these angels that have been blowing these trumpets, right? So when he looks at this one, this is another in other words, it's like the ones that he's seeing blowing these trumpets. Now that's just that's not enough to convince anybody, and I get that. But if you were to look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 through 18, some of the ways that you see Jesus described in there, he says, I am the first and the last. I died and am alive forevermore. So clearly distinguished there between an, an, an angel. Another place is, um, I think it's in... Um, Revelation chapter 5 or 6. But anyway, he is, whenever they see him in heaven, he looks like a lion. Lion, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Or when they see him, they say, behold, the Lamb of God. And so when they see him, he's always clearly distinguished between other angels. Um, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16 through 17, it says, On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so I believe that so many other places, there's a clear distinction between Christ and the angels. He's never 
misidentified there. It's always a absolute, we know who this is. So that's, that's one reason behind it. Another reason is because of what he says at the... Um, what verse is it in chapter 10? Yes, thank you. In verse 6. Notice what he says right here. He raises his right hand to heaven and he swears what? By him who lives forever and ever. And the one that created the heavens and all that's in them, the earth and all that's in them, the sea that's all that's in them. So he swears by him. Now yes, there are places in the Word of God that God swears by Himself. He does. But He always says, I swear by Myself. <laughs> he never says, I swear by Him who... He always says, and so I'll give you some examples of that. If you wanted to look them up, you could. Genesis chapter 22 verse 16. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 23. Jeremiah verse 20, chapter 22 verse 5. Amos chapter 6 verse 8. Those are just a few places that you can go to and you can see that every one of those, whenever God swears by Himself, He never once says, I swear by Him. He always says, I swear by my own name or I swear by, by Myself. Right. That's right. Not a not the creator. Right. But something created, would you be able to swear by him who created and lived forever that time should be no longer? Only Jesus can say that. Well, yeah, and you, you make a semi-valid point. I would agree with that if it weren't for the fact that he is there in the authority of he is giving the message that has been given to him. He holds the scroll in his hand that Jesus had again. And so I would argue that um, that he could just because of the fact that the angels are always the ones that deliver God's message. I don't care if it was to Mary or to, you know, no matter who it was. The angels were always the one that delivered God's message and it was just as true coming from their mouth as it was from the original mouth of God that it came from. Yes, ma'am. Do what now? Yeah. Right. And and you know, I, I would again, it's not that important. I mean we could look at it, and the only reason I, I, I struggle with somebody saying it's Jesus is just because of the fact that, again, like I said, this is not... If this were Jesus, then, then what happens in Revelation 19, I believe it is, would be His third coming, not His, not His second coming. And so that's just one, one struggle that I have with it, all right? Thirty-three, thirty-four. Even Moses touched on the character 
Right. Well, and we we see that in 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 other angels is that there is a brightness to them that um that, and you're right you can't be in the presence of God without the glory of God. That's right. And so I definitely see that some of these characteristics could be in this angel because of the fact that they have been in the presence of God. Um, Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you see how big, the, how mighty this angel was and how big it was. Because again, we've seen hell unleashed on earth, but these have been basically little demons um, just going around tormenting mankind. This dude is is a massive... Dude, and let's just and you remember where where um, John was? He was on the Isle of Patmos, and when you look at that on a map, you can see that he's in the middle of the um, the Aegean Sea, I believe it is, or the Mediterranean, one of those big seas out there. And so he's right in the middle of this thing. And I'm wondering if maybe the vision that he sees here is that basically he's on the island. And he looks and he sees this angel and he sets one foot on the land and he sets another foot in the sea where he's at. And so, um, but that's what we're going to see is the, the, um, the statute of this, um, of this angel. Look where he goes next in verse um, 2. He had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and he set his left foot on the land. Now what does it mean when you set something? Firmly. You have set yourself. If you set yourself somewhere, what have you done? You have firmly planted yourself there. You are not easily moved, are you? You have, you have set there. And so I see here that this is a... In a sense, this is a great authority coming from this angel. So, and again, um, possibility of Jesus. I'm not saying it's not. Um, I, I don't think it is. But, um, but if even if it is, this is great authority that takes place right here. And so, he sets his right foot on the sea and he sets his left foot on the land. And then the next thing he does, this, again, you're seeing his stature here in verse 3, and he called out, with a loud voice, like a lion roaring. Now, I don't know if you know who the king of the jungle is, but it ain't the hippo. It's the lion. And what is it about the lion that makes him the king? That roar. That's right. When he roars, everything else gets out of the way. Everything else stops. And so, basically, I, what I'm seeing here is authority. He sets himself. He roars like a lion. And then when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. Now I'm about to blow your mind here with this seven thunders thing, all right? But you'll never guess what the seven thunders are. Anybody want to take a shot at it? Good, because I don't know either. So <clears throat> I hope that blows your mind. Do what? In the, in the original that it's thunder? Yeah, that's good. that's good Greek study right there, brother. 
But I mean, honestly, I don't know. I don't have a clue. I don't know. Here's all I know. There were seven voices that came from the heavens. And He called them thunders here. And He clearly heard the message that they said. Whoever it is, whatever it is, He clearly heard it because He's fixing to write it down. And He stops writing it down. Why? So He clearly heard a message. Again, here's what I think is happening. And I don't know for certain because... um, this is apocalyptic literature and sometimes it's hard to interpret. But I really believe what's happening here is that John has saw so much. And I really believe just like happened between the sixth and the seventh seal, he's, he's probably asked a question in his mind that we didn't read about that says, Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? How long? I mean, how, how can the earth stand it? How can the people of the earth take it? How can anybody survive this? And so then he gets an answer here. And basically, I believe what he's saying is that there is coming a time when I send my angel in great authority to set himself firmly over all the earth. And he is going to have my message with him. All right, And I believe when the seven thunders sounded that they actually got a message that uh, probably was about... Um, times or how long, or he probably got some details that we weren't privy to. And so before he wrote it down, God or whoever it is says, hey, don't record that. Because you remember, the whole purpose of writing this was to show his servants the things that must take place soon. Y'all remember that in Revelation chapter 1? And so... The whole purpose of this is so that you and I can see the things that must take place. And now at this point, I believe that he gets a, that John gets a glimpse of something that now the servants don't need to see this for whatever reason. They don't need to hear this. So don't write this down. But we see that he has a set stature that his right foot and his left foot are firmly planted in both land and sea. And we see that he has an authoritative message as he roars like a lion. And then the next thing we see about his stature is that in verse... um, Go to verse 4 with me. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the land and the sea, he raised his right hand to heaven. What does it mean when you raise your right hand? This is a, basically, a, this means um, one chiefly relied on. This is the... Um, this is the, the true word, I guess you could say. And he raises his right hand to heaven and he says, and he, he swears. Now what does it mean to swear? When you swear on something, what are you doing? Yeah, this is an absolute assurance that what I am saying, now mankind swears and lies, right? That's what we do. God don't. His angels don't. This angel right here, when he swears, you can rest assured that what he is fixing to say 
It is firm and it is established. It is authoritative. And he says, I swore by Him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, and what is His message? Now, who has, is that exactly what your version says? No more time? Okay. Now, this is where different translations come in because if you go to the original Greek, what do some other translations read? That there should be no more delay. Does anybody have a New American Standard? I don't remember what it says, but that's probably the most accurate out there. Word for word translation. Um, Chris, you looking at a. All right. What does the what does the legacy translate that as in verse uh, six at the end? Is that it? Should have one more passage. Okay. So again, the point being is that is that some of the some of the what I call better translations actually translate it as um, uh, there shall be no more delay or there shall be delayed no longer. The only problem I have with the translation of time is it makes it sound like that time is going to be no more. That, that this is the end of time. That's not what he's saying here. The message of this angel is that there's not going to be any more delay. What, what has been delayed? God's judgment has been, has been slowly but surely delayed. It's kind of like what we see in Romans. Go with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 verse um, 4 and 5. And six. We'll, we'll, we'll read till I think it goes down through six or seven. Start in verse four, though. It says, Do you presume, or that some of that translations translate it disregard? Do you presume, or do you disregard the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Just to hold your place right there for a minute. Here's the point. There were some here that Paul was saying, you keep living in sin, you keep living in sin, you keep, you won't repent, you won't repent, and what you're doing is that you are disregarding the riches of His kindness. Kindness of what? Well, His forbearance, His patience. In other words, how many of y'all should, should God have already killed several times today? Just today. If his judgment, if, if, if sin's wages were paid immediately, how many times a day would you die? But right now, what we have is a delay. A delay in the judgment of God. There is a, um, a kindness and a forbearance and a patience that he's given. But so many people disregard it or presume on it. And notice what he says happens when we do that in verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, 
You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. What's that say? Tell me. There is coming a day where He does not have kindness and forbearance and patience with sin anymore, right? There's coming a day when the wages for all sin are going to be paid immediately. And He says that right now what we're doing with our impenitent, unrepentant hearts is that we're storing up wrath. What does it mean to store up something? Every day we pile it up a little bit more and a little bit more. And you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And look at verse 6. Because He will render to each one according to His works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give to them eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, because God shows no partiality. So here's what I believe is happening in chapter 10. I believe that John has asked the question, Lord, how much longer are you going to let evil just continue to run rapid on this earth. Because what has He just seen? Hell has been unleashed and everything you had trapped down in hell, all those demons that were in chains awaiting their day of judgment, they have all been turned loose onto the earth, every one of them. And now He's looking at it in chapter 10. I believe He's got a vision where God answers probably that question, Lord, how long before You punish the wicked? How long before your judgment is actually poured out on evil? How long before this is finally over and you reign supreme and there is no more of this? And he shows him a vision that the day is coming when he sets his angel down and when his angel is set, his angel is going to raise his right hand with the little scroll in his hand. And you remember what we said was in the scroll? Anybody remember? the contents of how God was going to judge the earth, how He was going to unleash everything. He has the scroll in His hand. And with His right hand, He raises it to heaven and He swears by the One who lives forever and ever and created all things. He swears by Him that there shall be no more delay. God's patience, guess what? It's done. God's forbearance, guess what? It's gone. There is no more mercy. There is now... The time has come. And the reason I say this is because... Skip over with me to chapter 11, verse... um, Look what happens right after the seventh trumpet blows. In um, Revelation 12, beginning in verse 15. Right after the seventh trumpet blows, look at what they declare. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign 
forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and they worshiped God saying, We give thanks to You, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for You have taken Your great power and what? And You have begun to reign. In other words, now we see the opportunity where God takes over and He takes His power and He says, No more. There's no more of this that's going to take place. He begins to reign. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Now what does that say to us today? Alright, what does that say? That's right. That's right. He's not slow concerning His promise, but He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's exactly right. That's right. That's right. So again, I think that what you're seeing here in chapter 10 is an angel of God with a message to John and to all the world that there is coming a day when the delay will be no more, evil will reign no more, but righteousness will reign and Christ will reign and that will be the way that it is. There won't be any evil to get away with anything anymore. It is going to be paid immediately. And I believe what you're going to see happen when the seventh trumpet blows, and we will uh, we'll study about this in the coming weeks, but when the seventh trumpet blows, you remember when the seventh seal was open and it introduced the seven trumpets? So you have the seventh seal and in it are seven trumpets. Well then when you get to the seventh trumpet, when it blows, it introduces seven bowl judgments. And basically these angels have these bowls of different types of wrath of God. And they pour out each one. Well, what happens in the seventh trumpet? When it blows, basically we have rapid fire that takes place. As soon as that seventh trumpet blows, here comes a bowl. Here comes another bowl. Here comes another bowl. There is no more delay one right after the other of the judgment of God is poured out until the world and all of its evil is finally destroyed. And the new heaven and the new earth are introduced at the end of Revelation. And that's what you see take place. But let's finish up Revelation chapter 10 real quick. In verse... Um, let's read verse 6 again. He swore by Him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. Now, there's all kind of mysteries, alright? Um, I believe this particular mystery he's talking about is uh, the mystery of, of God, how God brings it all to an end, maybe. I, I don't know for certain. But I do know that... Uh, marriage used to be a mystery before Christ came. Adam and Eve were married in the Garden of Eden, but 
They didn't really know what it was. They just knew that God made him a helpmate and the two became one. And that's all they knew. But whenever you get to the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene and He says, hey, here's what marriage really is. It's a physical picture of a spiritual reality. It's a physical picture of a husband and a wife that paints a picture of a spiritual reality between Jesus and His bride. And that's what it was created for. And that's the, remember when in Ephesians chapter 5, when the Apostle Paul said, This mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter 5 that we didn't, we didn't know for centuries what marriage was, but now we do. The mystery has been revealed. And so in this case right here, there is some type of a mystery that is going to be fulfilled when the seventh trumpet, and I believe it's the mystery of God's final judgment when He finally pours out all the wrath onto the world and onto sin. And then in verse 8 He says, Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel and who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel. Now, I've always kind of got tickled at this because, um, I mean, I'm a pretty brave guy, you know. <clears throat> I, can, um, I can actually walk down to my garage in the dark and not, not fear at all. My, my son can't do that. Can he? Okay, he's a little better. Mama took up for him. The point, the point being is that um, I, think I'm, I think I'm pretty tough. But can you imagine if all of a sudden God tells you, hey, you see that angel that's got one foot in the sea and one foot on the land standing there roaring like a lion with a scroll in his left hand and his right hand to the sea declaring that there's not going to be any more delay. Go over and take that scroll out of his hand. But whatever, I don't know what he's feeling right here, but notice what happens in verse 9. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. <laughs> Please, that's right. And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Now here's what I think is happening here. And again, I'm speculating, trying to draw back on other Scriptures to try to get the right interpretation. But I believe what's happening here is we determine that the contents of the scroll, because every time a seal was broken and that scroll was opened a little bit more, what happened? This judgment was poured out. This rider of this horse was called forth. This trumpet, this angel with this trumpet was told to blast. And so I believe that the contents of that scroll are how God is going to pour His judgment out on this earth and how He is going to reclaim it until He reigns again over it and it's all made new. And so on the one hand, for somebody that is pro-God, and John here, that is all about the judgment of God coming, he takes this scroll and he eats it. And on the one hand, it's sweet as honey. On the other hand, when he sees how it takes place, 
You ever heard of something that's bittersweet? And I believe that's what we have happening right here, is that we have John and he takes this scroll and he, he eats it and it, it tastes like sweet honey to his tongue. But then when it settles in his stomach, it's bitter. It's bitter. And now notice what happens in verse 11. And I was told, and this is what he's told to do with it, you must again prophesy about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. And again, I think what's happening here is that basically John is probably in a place to where he has seen all this, um, he, he has tasted it, it's bitter in his stomach, and now he's sitting there thinking, what do I do with it, right? And God looks at him and He says, now you've got to take that and you've got to spread it to many other peoples, many other nations, many other tribes because they need to know this, they need to see this, they need to hear about this before the time comes when there is no more patience of God, when there is no more forbearance of God. So now what do you and I... Um, yes, ma'am. I think it is. I think it is. Now again, I can't say for certain. Um, there are there are some that say it is. There are some teachers greater than I that say it's not. So just like we were talking about with the angel, there are some of my great teachers I love that say it is Jesus Christ. There are some of my great teachers that I love that say, no, it's not Jesus Christ. And so... This is, again, one of those um, things where it's hard to just be dogmatic about. But I do believe that, um, that this is the same little scroll um, because we have no other reason to, to indicate that it wouldn't be. It makes sense the way we look at it that it would line up to be that same scroll. Well, judgment has been identified already. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and again, that, that, that's what you've got to do is you've got to go through the arguments and you have for pros and cons trying to figure out and then look at previous Scriptures and try to use Scripture to interpret Scripture to, um, uh, to see what it is. And that's part of studying is that you just got to kind of go through it and really think through it, um, each part. And it may come to you studied something like, for instance, the angel. And we've spent all our time studying who the angel is, and then at the end of it go, what is it? right, <laughs> right. Uh, but it's just, it's just like, uh, why did he not write that? Yeah. Okay, if, he, if everything was written that we needed to know, if we had the gumption of going and study pulling out for ourselves, we wouldn't have to live by faith. Right. And, and, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you're right. Because we, because why do we still have faith if it, we have the sight? We know. That's right. The secret things belong to the Lord. That's right. I need to know as much as God needs to know. We don't need to know as much as God needs to 
And that's a good application from this, I think. I think is that we need to understand that there are some things that God that we need to be okay with saying, God, I don't understand this. That's right. That's right. God, I don't understand this. Maybe one day you will give me this revelation and help this mystery be revealed. Uh, today, I, I don't quite, I don't quite get it. And there are some things that we need to be okay with that. That's right. Now, let me ask you this: What do you, what do we do as far as the application of this? If you're in John's shoes and he's told you, "All right, take this word of God, eat it, and um, now prophesy it." to many peoples, nations, and tongues. What do you do? What, what do we do? That's right. And is that not what John did when he wrote Revelations? That's the reason why you're still getting it today. You know who the people are he's prophesying to that are many nations, tribes, and tongues? Right. Right. The end is coming. That's right. Yep. That's right. No, that's right. Yeah. Or you're exactly right. And we get closer every day. All right. Anybody else? How else can you see an application from this for yourself? Be prepared. Let me ask you a question. What did John have to do with this scroll before he could prophesy? He had to take it and he had to eat it. God didn't open his mouth and go, I ain't going to do that to you. (laughs) But y'all know what I'm talking about, right? No. What, What kind of application do we get from that? There you go. There you go. Start tonight, one page at a time in Revelation. There you go. So again, another... And that's where you use Scripture to interpret Scripture. We can say there that it's very likely that what we're seeing here is a um, application for us. That just like Jeremiah had to do, just like John had to do, we too have a responsibility to take the Word of God and ingest it in our own selves and then take it. And it's going to be sweet sometimes and it's going to be bitter sometimes. But we have a responsibility. We have a command to follow. And I think you have two commands to follow there. Three commands. First, take it. Second, eat it. Third, preach it. Prophesy. Tell people about what the Lord has said in these things. That the judgment of God is coming. I mean, you know what? Let's just be honest. Look around this world. Anybody. I don't care if you're an unbeliever. Look around this world and tell me it's not evil. Tell me it's not evil. It's evil. And the judgment of God is coming. And we need to make sure that we're not storing up wrath because the day is coming when He says, there's going to be no more delay. My patience is over. 
My forbearance is over. And I don't think you and I can imagine what that's going to be like. I know we can't. Because all we know is the patience of God with the most evil. I mean, I mean, we see God let rapists and, and uh, child molesters and, uh, I mean, the worst of the worst, serial killers. We watch them continue to live day after day after day. Some of them still in prison today. Just, why ain't they dead yet? Because God is patient. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Repentance. And so we need to understand that this is a time of grace that we're living in right now, but it's not going to last forever. There is a day coming to where He says, no more. <laughs> we're done with that part. That part's over. <laughs> right? That's right. All right. Any other comments tonight before we close? All right. Well, we will get into next week. Uh, Revel no, we won't. Next week's business meeting. So it is, ain't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, next week will be a business meeting, and then we will uh, get into Revelation chapter 11. And basically, we get another vision here, um, another interlude of. A, of the ministry that's going to be taking place during this time. You remember how between the 6th and the 7th seal, we got a vision of the ministry of the 144,000 Jews? Y'all remember that? And now here between the 6th and the 7th trumpets, we get a vision of the ministry that takes place to the Jewish people during this time and, and some of the things that God is going to do. Then we get back into the 7th trumpet blows, and then you'll see how the order falls out after that. Any questions? All right. Thank you all for your time and your attention. I hope you learned something or at least see it. You know, my biggest goal when you leave here is that you can have a... I always say this, but you can zoom out enough that you can have a good overview of the book. And you can get an idea of what's taking place from chapter to chapter and you can see how the book progresses. And that will help you to be able to go home and open it up and know kind of where you're at in it as, as you study it. That's, that's one of my biggest goals for you.